This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, and I am your host, Alexandria. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS Pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct health care advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. On episode 10, we are continuing with our pelvic pain theme by speaking to endometriosis warrior and advocate, Tiara Jekyll. Tiara is a current volunteer with the Saskatoon Sexual Assault and Information Centre who has publicly shared her story about battling stage 4 endometriosis. This is a disease that can result in incredibly high levels of pain, so Tiara is going to provide us an endometriosis education and speak to the importance of advocacy as a part of one's healing journey. Tiara will leave us with some keen insight on the importance of patients needing to educate themselves about the pain condition they are living with in order to improve their overall quality of life, as well as some helpful tips and resources for those who have also received this diagnosis. Today, we have a lived experience advocate joining us, Tiara Jekyll, who has been living with endometriosis for a number of years now. Thank you, Tiara, for taking the time to speak with us, especially because I know you just had a surgical procedure, which we can get into as we go. But for those who may not know, can you explain what is endometriosis? Hello. Yes. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this podcast. And so for those who may not know, endometriosis is the presence of cells that are similar, though not the same, to the native endometrium. However, they occur outside of the uterus. So these mutated cells are connected to the hormone cycle, each month filling with blood. The blood and the tissue in these endometrial growths have no way of draining. So instead, internal bleeding, inflammation, scar tissue adhesions, and or cysts can form. They have the ability to distort the internal anatomy, which causes an inflammatory response within the body. And this can lead to autoimmune dysfunction and disease. It's important for me to make clear that endometriosis is a whole body disease and that endometriosis does not occur inside of the uterus and it is not a disease of the uterus. So endometriosis occurs outside of the uterus. Even though it is mostly found in the pelvis, 
endometriosis has been found on every organ and anatomical structure in the body, um, except for the spleen for some reason. But this disease involves both the immune and endocrine systems. It is a chronic disease, which is also associated with high levels of chronic stress. So endometriosis can cause severe pelvic and back pain, chronic pain, infertility, bowel issues, painful intercourse, irregular or heavy menstruation, anxiety, depression, and other symptoms as well. So endometriosis is associated with a higher risk of several chronic diseases, including cancer, autoimmune diseases, allergies, and cardiovascular diseases. So usually things like irritable bowel syndrome, interstitial cystitis, pelvic floor dysfunction, and chronic fatigue usually go hand in hand with endometriosis, um, unfortunately. The only way to conclusively determine if endometriosis is present is through collecting the abnormal cells via biopsy during the laparoscopy surgery. So a diagnosis of endometriosis cannot be confirmed by CT scans, MRIs, ultrasounds, or symptoms. Endometriosis can only be diagnosed through biopsy. So symptoms can lead to a suspicion of endometriosis. However, relying on symptoms alone may lead to a misdiagnosis and improper treatment. So saying that you have endometriosis without having had that surgery may not only be incorrect, which can lead to improper treatment, but it does also discredit all of the people who have struggled and fought to get their proper diagnosis. So if you are going off of symptoms alone, you need to say that you have suspected endometriosis, as there are a plethora of other diseases that have similar symptoms that must not be forgotten in these situations. Um, so with endometriosis, since it is a chronic disease, there are no cures. However, there are treatment options. So hormonal treatments commonly offered will only mask the symptoms and excision surgery with an endometriosis specialist is the gold standard for effectively treating endometriosis. So a hysterectomy will not cure endometriosis, a pregnancy will not cure endometriosis, ablation surgery will not cure endometriosis, excision surgery, exercise, medicine, hormone therapy, a lack of a menstrual cycle, herbs, essential oils, menopause, journaling, none of these things will cure endometriosis because there is no cure. So the last thing I do want to mention is that endometriosis is commonly referred to as a women's only disease. Um, and while this explains why this disease is not well known, not well researched or taken seriously, it is important for me to point out that there are many individuals who have been diagnosed with endometriosis, 
but do not identify as women. That was such an incredible overview. I feel like you could have just taught us a course in that. Thank you so much for all of that information. And what I find really interesting about it is when you're talking about things like pelvic pain and talking about suspected endometriosis, um, this whole month for the SAS pain podcast, we're talking about pelvic pain. And I feel like as of late, the number one reason or explanation that people are given is that if they have pelvic pain, it's endometriosis. And I was one of those people that was told that's what I had put on the treatments for it. Wasn't getting better. Turned out it wasn't that. And, you know, I probably would have saved myself two years of unnecessary medications and all these different trialings. If I would have had that gold standard (laughs) assessment, which is blapper laparoscopy. I can't say that word. It's such a tough one to do. it either. I messed it up, but I just kept going. (laughs) But it's really interesting in that um, if you think about this being a predominantly a women's issue, the fact that we can't have something like an MRI and that we have to go on a surgery table and get a bunch of incisions in our abdomen to find out that just seems totally wild to me because we know that if this was maybe a men's issue, they would have figured out a better way to diagnose this by now. But with all that said, thank you again for that incredible overview. On a personal level though, what is living with endo, which is what some people who have endometriosis call it, what is living with endo like? So I remember the first time that I got my period in grade seven, my mom picked me up from school and I asked her if she could actually drive slower over the bumps because The pain was almost intolerable. I remember waking up in the middle of the night when I had my period due to that extreme pain and not being able to get back to sleep. Um, From the age of 13, I was popping extra strength Tylenol, Advil, Midol, um, just to be able to function. I remember asking, asking my mom if it was normal to be in so much pain during your period. And her reply was, yes, it is. You know, however, she also experienced very painful and heavy bleeding herself and never had anyone tell her that it wasn't normal. So it has never been confirmed, but I do believe my mom has suspected endometriosis. And endometriosis can be genetically transmitted, but its development can also be influenced by so many other factors. As I got older, I talked to my grandmother on my paternal side, and she also relayed to me that the women in her family suffered immensely with their periods. And for a decade, I believed that bleeding heavily for nine days straight and being in abject pain was normal. Uh, It's very important for me to communicate that this is not normal, even if it is the normal within your family. And experiencing pain during your period is actually not normal at all. (laughs) Um, I would describe living with endometriosis as never having the privilege to be comfortable in your own body. That makes a lot of sense. And that's such a great way to frame it, which sounds incredibly difficult and incredibly uncomfortable. 
And as we spoke to Juliet Sargent last week, there are so many different causes of pelvic pain. It can be something as simple as having really tight pelvic floor muscles. But if you have something like endometriosis, which increases that inflammation, or you have something like pelvic congestion syndrome, where blood is pooling in your pelvis, that's going to make your muscles constrict. And that's why if you can speaking to your family physician, if you do find that you have very regular, not regular, if you have very irregular, heavy, painful periods, talk to them about it because as Tiara said, it is not normal, but how has your life changed? Obviously you took a while to get this diagnosis as we already explained. It's so difficult to even get one. So how have things been different since you started dealing with this or since you got that diagnosis? I would describe my entire experience as being dismissed, downplayed, and devalued. In what ways are you willing to tell us a little bit more about that? I remember when I first started to experience a few symptoms. One of them was I was unable to hold my bladder for longer than 30 minutes at a time. This started to get extremely inconvenient. And I went in and talked to my doctor about it. So they took a urine sample and basically what they discovered is there was a large amount of blood in my urine. However, you know, I did not have a bladder infection. I did not have a urinary tract infection. Um, and after a while, my doctor just told me, oh, well, it just must be your normal to have a lot of blood in your urine. I obviously didn't feel very comfortable accepting that. I did not feel that this was my normal because it simply never had been. Um, as my symptoms progressively got worse, my blood count in my urine got worse. So I knew there was a correlation and, um, eventually I got into an appointment where they actually stick a camera up into your bladder. Um, and from the inside, they couldn't find anything wrong with my bladder. So again, you know, I had doctors and specialists telling me, oh, it, it just must be your normal to go from being able to have a normal uh, bathroom experience to only being able to hold my bladder for 30 minutes max um, and having lots of blood in my urine. Um, another thing that I went through was I had an extremely painful lump on my right side of my lower abdomen. When I pointed it out to my doctor, my doctor said, oh, that's a hernia. You have a hernia. And I was pretty upset by that because, I mean, the heaviest thing I lift is my cat. So I didn't really understand how I developed a hernia. So I asked to be referred to see a hernia specialist. So when I got in to see the hernia specialist, she felt it and she was like, yep, no, this isn't a hernia. Just try a hot pack and then an ice pack. Try alternating them. It's probably just a sore muscle. And it took over, I'd say, 45 minutes of conversation for me to actually convince her that, no, this wasn't just a sore muscle. I have been alternating hot 
packs and ice packs for a very long time, years, um, and it's getting worse. And that I really wanted an MRI. Um, she told me MRIs aren't worth it. You know, they take too long. It's not worth the wait. And I had to be very firm and tell her, you know, I've been waiting this long. I am comfortable with waiting a little bit longer if it results in some sort of clarity. So finally, you know, I was able to get an MRI almost a year later. I got the results back and the hernia specialist actually ended up calling me. And I remember she said, so the results came back from your MRI. It's not a hernia. However, I suspect that you have a very advanced, severe stage of endometriosis because there is currently a cyst on your right side that uh, is over six centimeters large. So that was kind of one of the first few times that I heard the word endometriosis. And then from there, I started to look into gynecologists that would help me explore that issue further. That sounds incredibly frustrating and invalidating when you know something is wrong with your body and you just want someone to run a test to give you that clarity. As you said, it's, it's interesting because the healthcare system is not set up to get people fast diagnostics, which is really horrible. But also it seems like uh, with pain patients specifically, if there's even a history or a mention of pain, often there is that immediate dismissal where, oh, well, maybe it is just something they're imagining because nobody else has been able to figure it out yet. But it's incredible that you fought and you advocated for yourself to push for the test that you needed, even if maybe that wasn't the test you needed to figure out what was going on. It was at least a step forward to start to figure out what the heck is happening in my body. So kudos for pushing. And I know it's been a few years now since you did finally get the diagnosis. So what has happened since then? Did you find some therapies or anything that has helped you manage since then? Or just how have you been doing? Just give us an overview and an update for now. All right. So November 2nd, 2017 was my first excision surgery, which accompanied my diagnosis. And my second excision surgery was on December 13th, 2021. So both surgeries were with Dr. Laura Weens, who is an incredible OBGYN in Saskatoon. And Dr. Weens has special interest in the surgical and medical management of fibroids, endometriosis, and chronic pain, and is truly one of the best women I have ever met. So after both surgeries, Dr. Weens started me on physiotherapy. And it's very important that I mention that the most important aspect is not physical therapy, but it's going to physical therapy with someone who specializes in pelvic health and chronic pain. So physiotherapy with someone who is passionate about pelvic health is probably one of the best tools that we have 
or that we can put in our toolbox. And this goes with, you know, with or without having had surgery. So treating endo needs to be a holistic approach. So one of the best things I've done for myself, which has increased my quality of life, was to implement a very strict autoimmune protocol. So this protocol helps to reduce inflammation and pain within the body. And in my opinion, it is one of the top treatment choices for individuals with endometriosis. And if you haven't heard much about this protocol before, it is, it's a way of eating and monitoring your overall stress to really lower the amount of inflammation in your body. And a podcast to listen to is the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. And while this podcast is a bit older, and I'm not entirely sure if they have completely stopped with this podcast, it still does do an extremely good job at educating how to treat autoimmune diseases with both natural and conventional medicine. And one of the creators of this podcast actually has endometriosis herself. So it fits in really nicely with a, you know, appropriate recommendations. Nikki Trescott and Angie Alt have several cookbooks and online materials that have been fundamental in implementing the autoimmune protocol. Um, they are the authors of that podcast as well. And I think one of the biggest things that really pisses me off is when people react to the protocol with saying, you know, oh my, that's so restrictive. You know, that's so stupid. I'm never going to follow that. Or you're crazy for following that. Um, I do not consider gaining a higher quality of life restrictive. And in fact, it's been the exact opposite for me. So I highly recommend the autoimmune protocol. It is definitely a complete retraining of what we are kind of taught in, in this society of how to take care of ourselves. But all of that work is so worth it. That absolutely makes sense. Anything that makes your quality of life better in my eyes is a win. And we actually got to talk on episode nine with Juliet, who works closely with Dr. Weens and her patients um, post-surgery as well. So check out that episode if you haven't yet. And Dana Fessick, one of our past guests, also spoke about how important dietary changes were in managing her own pain. So if you need to connect with someone like a dietitian to figure out how to get started on that, there is complete and total value with like completely changing your diet in a way that just better suits your own body, or even just supplementing where maybe you just need to pick up some things to help with anti-inflammatory processes to reduce your pain and things like that. But Tiara, your name was first familiar to me because I actually remember seeing you on television, speaking about your experiences living with endo and you got up on live TV to share your story. It was incredibly brave. And you shared even some of your medical imaging and just sort of told the audience all about what you had been living and dealing with as a means to raise awareness. And that was immensely powerful for someone like me to watch 
especially because I was being told I had suspected endometriosis when I was having pelvic pain initially. And just knowing someone is out there living the same thing, that was really comforting for me. And that is what this podcast is all about, providing that base of knowledge based on personal experience and providing solidarity so that people know that they're not alone in their struggle. So do you feel as a patient trying to navigate the healthcare system, is there benefit in sharing your story? I know you have a strong social media presence um, where you share your endo knowledge. So has that sort of actively helped you in your own pain journey? Well, personally, being a woman with endometriosis and having had it completely destroy my quality of life due to doctors and specialists gaslighting me for a decade, um, all while my disease grew and spread. I share my story because I hold on to a lot of anger. And that anger comes from a great deal of disappointment. And we think that doctors and specialists are supposed to help us and take care of us. And I mean this with my whole being, that it takes a chronically ill person to realize that this is not the case whatsoever. The entire medical system is flawed, especially when it comes to issues that commonly present themselves in women. It took 10 years for me to get a diagnosis, 10 years of suffering, 10 years of being told by countless doctors and specialists that what I was experiencing was just in my head, that I was making it up and that I was a hypochondriac. And as a woman, I was also slapped with terms such as emotional, dramatic, hysterical. I vividly remember being told by a specialist that I waited months to see that of her personal opinion, she thought that I was anorexic and that she wasn't going to take me seriously until I learned how to eat. I have been purposely forgotten about in the emergency room for over 24 hours because it was the third time I had come in with the same symptoms. You know, I have been denied a request for a smaller speculum and instead, they went ahead and used the largest one. I could continue to go on, but I share my story with the hopes that awareness grows, chronic pain warriors are finally taken seriously, and that endometriosis is recognized and detected soon after symptoms are reported. Yes. And I feel your anger there so much, especially as another female patient who had pelvic problems that were completely overlooked and dismissed. And there is so much work to do, but I agree. The more that people share their stories, put a face and a name to an experience, there's no way that it's not going to make some change in any capacity. But from the patient perspective, what do you wish you could say to clinicians who treat pain or are dealing with a patient who has endo? Mm. <laughs> I'd say I've got 99 problems 
And they've all developed or progressed because doctors or specialists did not take me seriously. (laughs) I know my body best. And the 30 minutes that they may have spent learning about my condition in university does not suffice and does not negate my very real and ongoing experiences. If I am upset and scared about how I am feeling and I know something isn't right and I am telling you and I'm begging you for help, gaslighting your way out of doing your job is unforgivable. The next time you're about to tell your patient that they probably just have health anxiety, do your work first. Order the tests. And no, not just the basic blood work. Research the symptoms. Go the extra mile. Show up for your patient. You are perpetuating the stigma by not taking us seriously. Endometriosis can be fatal if it is ignored. So on the alternative side, do you have anything to say to someone who has maybe just been diagnosed and are possibly feeling overwhelmed? Do you have any first steps or suggestions just to get them going towards feeling better? Yes, definitely. So when I received my diagnosis, it was a mixture of feeling so relieved, so relieved that, you know, there was a name for what I had, there was something causing this and I could work toward treatment, but that was also mixed with feeling immensely overwhelmed. One of the most important things or the most important advice that I can give is to take your diagnosis seriously. And I want you to take it so seriously that you spend your free time reading research papers, you know, scientific and peer-reviewed articles, books, listening to podcasts, gathering all the information that you can. I want you to educate yourself. You know, this is your life. This is your diagnosis. And absolutely no one is going to take it seriously unless you do. No one is going to advocate for you unless you do. And use this information to guide the questions that you ask at your next doctor's appointment or when considering a new treatment method. You cannot rely on others to give you this information or to make your decisions for you. You know, with this being said, um, please stay away from Facebook groups because Because misinformation thrives in these situations, not only misinformation, but overwhelming negativity. I know that when I first was diagnosed, I wanted to find a community and a Facebook group focusing on, you know, endometriosis warriors in Saskatchewan or in Canada, et cetera, was where I first went to. However, After being a part of these groups for many years, I strongly advise against them. Um, 
you need to be able to confidently make your own decisions about your own body. And that requires a deep understanding in the disease that you have been diagnosed with. For sure. That's incredible insight and advice. And in regards to things like online social support groups, I do think they have a role when you get a new diagnosis and you are overwhelmed. You don't know where to turn. You don't even know where to start. Uh, A lot of these spaces, specifically, I cannot remember the exact name. I am going to find it because I used to be a part of this group. It was the Endometriosis and Pelvic Pain Warriors of Saskatchewan or something similar to that. Um, It was only through there that I ended up finding out that I had pelvic congestion syndrome, which I didn't know what that was until I had looked through there. But I agree with Tiara that Sometimes some spaces online, they're not moderated and they can get very negative and very scary. And in a lot of ways lead to hopelessness about the diagnosis that you've just been given. So educate yourself on your own the best you can absolutely reach out for support when you need it. But we also have resources like this podcast. So if you need to learn about endo, here we are. But now that you have had two surgeries are you still dealing with pain management challenges? Yes. So it is important to note that, you know, while I have undergone two surgeries to remove endometriosis from my body, that it does grow back. And I still do have all of the symptoms of endometriosis. However, they are less severe now. So I engage with ongoing physiotherapy I strictly adhere myself to the autoimmune protocol. I favor hot baths, hot tea, and hot packs. Part of living with the disease that causes chronic pain is acceptance. And acceptance is one of the most important pieces of the puzzle for chronic pain or chronic disease warriors. Accepting that I will never be able to accomplish what I used to be able to is depressing, but it is also freeing because it allows me to move forward and not judge myself and not feel that level of shame or self-hatred or pity um, when doing my day-to-day things. Accepting that, you know, today is going to be a good day, even though I have a level four pain. Accepting that maybe my best days actually have level four pain. Maybe I'm never going to get to level two pain again. Accepting that makes it so much easier to live in the moment and to find joy and happiness in your life again. I love that. Is there anything else that you would like to mention that we haven't discussed yet today? My disease has disabled me and it is an invisible disability. But just because it is not immediately detectable by the naked eye does not make it any less present. Endometriosis has negatively impacted my life on a level that very few will be able to understand. And if my disease was caught when I first started to experience my symptoms, I would have a much higher quality of life right now. 
And I live with that burden of knowing that if doctors and specialists took me seriously, I would be in a better place right now. And part of me engaging with, you know, live TV or podcasts or any type of media is I deeply hope that the more I do this, the less more people have to have a similar experience that to me. Absolutely. And I think that really drives so much advocacy that we have walked that really horrible path. And if there's anything that we can do to improve it for someone else, even if that meant we had to be a martyr in a lot of ways, it's absolutely worth it. So thank you for your willingness to share your story with us today. It's so important. And I have zero doubt that this is going to help someone else who is currently on the same journey. So thank you. And I will include some show notes of some of the incredible information that Tiara shared with us today um, about some of the resources. So take a look in the show notes and we will chat again soon. Thank you so much. As mentioned in the podcast, we have some resources to share, such as the autoimmune wellness protocol developed by Mickey Trescott, which I will provide a link for in the show notes, as well as Mickey's Instagram page, which has some incredible free resources and recipes for those dealing with an autoimmune condition who may want to adjust their diet to improve their pain and inflammation levels. If you are in need of resources about endometriosis, please visit the www.saspain.ca website or send us an email. You can also visit the Endometriosis Network of Canada website if you are a patient or a care provider who wants to learn to be more endo-informed. This website has a list of providers who specialize in endometriosis treatment, also in Saskatchewan, such as Dr. John Teal and Dr. Darian Ratray in Regina and Dr. Laura Weins in Saskatoon. Thank you for listening to Your Partners in Pain, a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain. Funding for this podcast was provided by the Saskatchewan Community Initiatives Fund and the Saskatchewan Pain Society. For more information about our organization or to find additional resources, please find us on social media at SaskPain or visit our official website, www.saskpain.ca.